Yes, good afternoon everyone. Good to see you all. Good, why don't we pray as we begin? Loving Father, we do thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness towards us. For giving us your words and speaking to us through it, please be at work today as we look at this strange passage of names. It may not seem much at first, but it has a lot to teach us and encourage us with. So I pray that you'll be speaking to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Do have the passage open uh, in Matthew chapter 1. We'll look at it again. Uh, I love Andrew Peterson, the, the sung version there. It's actually part of a Christmas album. So if you like that sort of style of music, I encourage you to check it out. It's called Behold the Lamb of God. And it's not just Christmas carols, it's kind of a, it tells the whole story really of Christ. Uh, from like the Old Testament prophecies all the way through. So it's a really good uh, Christmas album and I recommend it. And that's just a sneaky, sneaky peek of it from the, uh, from the reading. Um, but yeah, do open up Matthew chapter 1 and we will, uh, uh, we'll look through it again as we, as we, as I preach. Now a friend of mine uh, made his sons a promise. Uh, that basically, uh, he had three sons, uh, two of them were twins actually, and he said to them, at some point we're going to take each one of you away on your own, just you, and we'll go camping, we'll go walking, we'll go hiking, and it'll just be me and you, have some, some father-son bonding, uh, some sunshine, some fresh air, just have a really good time together. And my friend telling me the story, he said, from that point on, his sons were kind of looking forward to it, they were anticipating something as they grew up. They were thinking, will this be the year? that he takes me. Will this be the year that he keeps his promise? They were really looking forward to this trip away, this exclusive time with their dad. Uh, and they were looking out for it. They looked out for signs that it was coming. Maybe he's sneaking into sleeping bags into the, the, the house or, or unpacking the tent from the loft or something. And eventually he did what he said he would. He took each one away over a few years. He fulfilled his promise to them. He did let them down. And the Jews, in the time of Jesus, were in a similar position. They knew from the Old Testament that this, the Messiah was, was supposed to come, but things had gone very quiet. It had been over 400 years since the last prophet. Maybe there was something, well, where is God? When's he going to come? When is he going to keep his promises? If you were a faithful Jew, if you were uh, one who trusted God, and waiting patiently for this, You'd be full of anticipation. You'd be waiting. And you can imagine just thinking, will this be the year? Will this be the time when Messiah comes? Will God fulfill his prophecy yet? We live in a bit of an instant generation, don't we? I love my Amazon Prime deliveries. In London, we used to be able to get it on the same day. So if you order in the morning, you can get it by the evening. That's brilliant. But that's not that Can you imagine if that, you know, that's what we used to. Imagine waiting 400 years for your parcel to arrive. And this was the, the, the case, they were waiting over 400 years for the promised king. And then imagine that you're a faithful Jew living in the lands, uh, and you've heard about someone called Jesus. And maybe you've been on the outskirts of things and you know, haven't really seen or heard much about what's been going on. But people say, this, Jesus, he is the promised king. How could you be sure? Where's the proof? Maybe they were thinking. Well, that's one of the reasons that, that Matthew wrote his gospel, he's writing to convince his fellow Jews that uh, Jesus is the Messiah. And I don't know if you were writing with that sort of aim in mind, I don't know how you would start uh, start a book, because authors, if you want to try and hook them in, don't you, right from the first word, uh, kind of really grip them with action or drama or intrigue, 
One of my favourite Christmas films is The Muppet Christmas Carol. And uh, they talk about the first line of the book uh, uh, from Charles Dickens. The first line is, Marley was dead to begin with. Marley was dead to begin with. Uh, and Rizzo the Rat says, oh, that's, that's a good start. It's kind of creepy, it's kind of spooky, it kind of gets you right into the thick of things. But what does Matthew do? He takes 17 verses to list out some old names in a genealogy. And we think, well, that's, that's not the most gripping start, is it, to a book? Especially if you think this is the start of the New Testament. The first thing you read is some names. No wonder, isn't it? That? Let's be honest, quite often we, we don't bother reading these first few verses at Christmas. We, we flick ahead to the next chapter, or to the next section, which talks you know, more about Jesus' birth. And actually, we need to come to these verses. We need to look at what Matthew's doing here. He is he's trying to help the Jews who are looking for this promised Messiah to, to find out this is exactly what they needed to hear. This is what they needed to read. Because what this genealogy does is it explains some of the really critical ways, the most significant ways that Jesus fulfilled uh, God's promises, proving that he was the Messiah. It's really good for us to be understanding this too. And the genealogy is split into three, uh, and as we'll see, and each section will teach us something important. The first kind of heading uh, this morning, this afternoon, sorry, is this, that Jesus is the son of Abraham. Jesus is the son of Abraham. Let's look again from verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Now, so the genealogy starts right away with Abraham. It's a good place to start. He was the first, uh, the first Jew, the first, uh, the start of the Jewish nation, God's chosen people. We go back to, to the story of Genesis chapter 12, uh, and we, we see what happens. It begins with Abraham listening to God, leaving his home country in faith to follow what God told him to do. And this is what it says in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, it says this. The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So you see, right at the start, we go right back to the start, and what's promised to, to Abraham, Abraham, that this great blessing, that he will make a great nation from his descendants. And he does what he's told. He gets up, he leaves his land, he follows God. And he certainly wasn't perfect. You go from the three seeing making some really significant mistakes. But we see grace and we see his faith in God at work. And in chapter 15, God kind of goes back and reiterates his covenants and he gives Abraham a new name, father of a multitude. Abraham, father of a multitude. Remember what, what his promise was that all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. That's what God promised to Abraham. But it wouldn't just be the Jewish nation, it would be all nations on earth through Abraham's offspring. 
And who is one of Abraham's offspring? We see right at the start, in verse 1 and 2, that Jesus was the son of Abraham. Now, any, any good Jew would know that this is a good sign, that, 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 that the Messiah would have to be truly Jewish. He would have had to have descended from Abraham. Not just that, if you go to Genesis 49, it talks in verse 10 about how the Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. And look down at verse 3. Ah, Judah's in there, genealogy as well. Uh, here's, this is kind of Matthew going, look, right at the start, here's my exhibit A. The first piece of evidence is really important, kind of foundation building block. Jesus is the son of Abraham and the son of Judah. That doesn't prove that he's the Messiah, but it's that kind of, this is, this is the starting point. It's the first brick to put down. Uh, and everything else builds up on top of that. So it would have been really important for the Jews at the time. I guess the question is, well, what about us? Well, why, why is it important for us to know this? Well, as you can see, he, he is the son of Abraham who brings blessing to all nations. Blessing to all nations. Through Jesus, God's promise to Abraham means that we can be part of God's family today. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> all, the, all through history, right from Abraham, thousands of years ago, right through to us, God's promises work. And that therefore us, we can be, we can be blessed in the same way. That's why Jesus came. We, we've just looked through the book of Mark. We, 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 in the last few weeks, we've looked at his death and resurrection. We've seen the promise being fulfilled as he died on the cross, as the curtain was torn in, in two from top to bottom, as the way to God was opened again. And actually, in Galatians, it really helpfully sums it up for us. Galatians 3, verse 8 says this that Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and announced the gospel in advance right back to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So there you go, it's a really good starting point to think about Christmas. We can rejoice this Christmas because God has opened up a way for us to be saved through Jesus, to be part of that, that blessing, uh, part of God's family. We can think about, you know, we, we're, we're thinking about the birth of Christ in the coming weeks, we think back to, to what we've just been learning about how he died on the cross. And how that means there's no more Jew, no more Gentile. No more conflict between social status and, and people of different races. All nations, all nations can come to Christ and find that blessing and hope and love. And it's good to remember that we are here this afternoon, together as God's people, because of what God promised Abraham all those years ago. How Jesus is the answer to that promise. So just like my friend promising that trip to his, to his sons and carrying through of that promise, God promises to save people from all nations through Jesus. And he does that. He carries out that promise. Such good news that we must not forget. The second thing we see in the second section is that Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the son of David. Let's look again from halfway through verse 6. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of uh, Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile. Jesus is the son of David. That's the kind of starting point, the headline of this second section. 
David, the great king of God's people. He ruled a golden period in the history of the Jewish nation. He was wise, he, he restored the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, he defeated his enemies, he brought peace to the nation. And you go to the book of Psalms and you see psalm after psalm that proved just how much he loved God and worshipped him. And in a similar way to Abraham, God, God promises something to King David. It's worth telling you if you've got a Bible in front of you, to 2, chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, it's worth having a look at this promise that he makes to David. Now David wants to kind of build God a temple, uh, but God says, actually, I've got a different plan. And in verse 11, this is what he says, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11. Halfway through. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and when you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, one of David's offspring, one of his sons, would have his throne established forever. The Jews of Jesus' time would have known about this prophecy. They, would, they knew that God's promised king, this Messiah, was going to arrive at some point. They were looking out for him, they were anticipating his arrival, they were longing for him to come. And they wanted a king who was going to come and kind of drive out the Roman Empire and restore the land to them. So Matthew begins this story of Jesus by, by saying that he is the Messiah, he's also the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. That's an important promise. He tells David that's important too. He is the promised king that has come. He is a direct descendant in the line of David. In fact, if you go to Luke's Gospel, the angel, when, when uh, the angel speaks to Mary, the angel says that. Uh, in Luke 1 32, he will be great, he will be the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. That's kind of making it really clear, isn't it? Really obvious. Let's read the promise again, and this is exactly, Jesus is going to fill it, fulfill it exactly. Even before he was born, it was known he was the promised king, he is the one who was coming. But as we read through the Gospels, we start to realise actually the Jews haven't quite grasped this. They misunderstand what, what Messiah came to do, that the people at the time were confused, that they were looking for this great warrior king who would defeat the Roman Empire, who would restore the lands. And instead, they get this, this humble man who's more interested in spending time with the, the, the down and out of society, the ones that are barely tolerated by everyone else. And they're drawn to him because of his love. He was a man who didn't fight back against the Romans when he was wrongly accused and sentenced to death. He didn't come to defeat the Romans, he came to defeat death. That's because he had come to fulfill that promise. Not just to David, but also to Abraham. To bless all nations by, by dying for the sins of his people. That's why he came. And as he does that, as he died and as he rose again, he is crowned the king. He is king and lord of all. His kingdom will never end. Jesus is the son of David whose throne will last forever. His throne will last forever. It's higher than any other, even now. God has established Jesus on high, he reigns. Is that in your minds as we come to this Christmas time? That you know, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we remember he grew up to die in our place, and 
rise as King forever, as our Lord and Saviour. You know, every year my family and I, we normally, or if we, if we find the time, we'll sit down on Christmas Day and we'll put on the Queen's speech. Kind of just feels like the right thing to do, you know? And it, let's be honest, 10 minutes, it's not that big. It's, it's, it's not big art, is it, to, to watch the Queen's speech. We do it most, most years, I imagine. Can you imagine if that was our attitude to King Jesus? Ah, oh, just 10 minutes praising him and the rest of the time I'm going to go and scoff my face on pigs and blankets and open my presents. Now we're celebrating the birth of our King. It's so easy to get distracted, isn't it, this Christmas time? There's so much to do. We've got to buy and wrap the presents. We've got to visit the family. We've got to make sure everyone likes get got the stuff, the food that they like. Especially, you know, I know as a family with young children, it's really difficult to stop Christmas just becoming all about presents. Presents are wonderful, but we need to, to show how they point to Jesus. Let me encourage you to, to think about that this Christmas. That, that, to not let your praise and worship of the King get pushed out amongst the business. Why not try and find some time in the next week before it gets too frantic to kind of just pause, to, to refocus on, on the King who came to save us. Maybe you want to, to say grace before you open your presents. We do it at meal times. Maybe maybe you do it at meal times. Why not do it before the kids open the presents? Say thank you for all his good gifts and his kindness. Remind each other of the King who came to save us. But let's look at the third section. The third section here. From the exile to Jesus the Messiah. From exile to Jesus the Messiah. Let's read verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were fourteen generations in all, from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. Now after King David, the, the kings of Israel were a mixed bunch, so the least. Some were better than others, but actually frequently, and more often than not, they, they, they didn't obey God as he commanded, and God's people ended up worshipping idols, going, rebelling against God. And in the end, it gets to such a point that, that his people are exiled into battle. And you know, you've got these, you've got these high points where you've got Abraham, David, exile as the headlines. So it's, it's a low point in the history of, of them. And not even the land anymore. It was a sorry time for God's people. And thinking, God's promised us this great king, and yet we're not even in our own land. It, it reveals, actually, just how helpless God's people are. How their pride, their efforts, it's worth nothing. They needed rescue. Again and again, they need rescue. And again and again, God graciously saves them. And there's a, there's a, a great passage in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. This is God's promise. To those in exile, this is what he says to them. Listen to this. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my rules. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your gods. See, God's people needed saving. Not just from exile, but they needed saving from their sin. And God just lays out this wonderful plan of restoration and hope uh, in this in Ezekiel. Uh, they come back to the land after 70 years. They're restored back. Remember, in the summer, we looked at the book of Nehemiah. I, I came and did a couple of those sermons. And it was good, wasn't it, to see kind of them back in the land. There's hope. They're kind of building up the walls. They're, they're restoring things. You think, is it going to be different this time? Is it going to somehow end differently? But sadly, it's, it doesn't. They, they, they fall into the same patterns. They, they go astray again. They need someone who's going to bring real hope, someone who's going to cleanse them and, and, and give them new hearts. And that's where the waiting begins. It's over 400 years go past. Generation upon generation waiting for God's promised king. We see at the end of uh, Matthew's genealogy. Here it is at last. Jesus, who is called the Messiah. He's the one who fulfills this prophecy for Ezekiel. And you get this wonderful summary in verse 17. It's like 14 generations uh, between David and Abraham. 14 between David and the exile. 14 between Jesus and the exile. It's, it's kind of, he's just laying out saying, look, do you see how beautiful God's plan is? How, how organized he is? He, he's put this list together carefully to show that God's plan has been carried out carefully too. Jesus came to rescue people from the exile of their sin. You see this afternoon, but, but actually we need that rescue too. Our sin puts us in the same place uh, as the, the exiled Jewish people, unable to save ourselves. We're in desperate need uh, of rescue. We might not be cast out of a particular land, but on our own we can't have a relationship with God, but we're exiled from his presence because of our sin. And that's why Jesus has come, to fulfill God's rescue plan, to save us from exile. By, by taking our sin upon himself on the cross, paying that price so that, that we could be rescued, we could be adopted into God's family. He is the one who cleanses us. Remember that cleansing promise in Ezekiel. He's the one who makes us new, gives us a new heart, a new spirit. He's the one who, who gives us that assurance that we will live with God forever. His death on the cross fulfilled all of these promises. And he became the eternal king through whom all nations place. So he begins his gospel. See, actually, it's not just a dryness of names that you skip over. It's the fulfillment of everything. It's everything that's come before is leading to this point. It's really exciting to see that. It reminds them too that they still need the Savior. That's why he's come. And I'm sure Matthew wanted as many of his fellow Jews to, to turn to Jesus, to find hope, to find salvation. Let me encourage you to do the same. How, how are you approaching Jesus this Christmas? Have you accepted that? Yeah, I do need rescue from my sin. I do need to turn to him in order to be loved and saved. The people in this list, they were not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, do you see how Matthew included the details that, that kind of show that? Especially King David, in verse 6. His heir was Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. It's an awful account of sin. You go and read it in 2 Samuel. 
It's awful. And yet, as David is convicted and repents, there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is restoration. And that is saying that if David is part of this next, then actually there's hope for all of us. God's grace is enough to, to cover us uh, and, and us. He can work through us in the same way as he's worked throughout history in all of these, these broken people. So I hope you see this list to lead us to rejoice. To praise God for his amazing plan throughout all of history. It's really good news for us to celebrate this Christmas. I'm sure actually the vast majority of, of those around us, they won't even have this in their minds this Christmas. Many will be eating and drinking and, and being merry. I guess the question is, how do we show ourselves to be different in that? As, uh, you know, as, as maybe you'll have some holiday over, over Christmas as work comes to a close. Maybe it's not just moaning about how much you've got to get done, or that miserable boss that, that's always on your back. Maybe it's remembering the joy of Christ who has come to us. Just wonder, don't you, what would it take for our, 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 our unbelieving family and friends to, to sit up and notice that there's something different in our hearts this Christmas. That there's this joy, we've really grasped what it means, the rescue that is at the heart of Christmas, Christ coming for us. It seems unlikely, doesn't it, so often that the people we know best are ever going to change, are ever going to come, come, come and know Jesus. But actually we see God's plan in this place. We see he works again and again in people's hearts and lives. He can do the same today. So if you are planning to spend time with family and friends over Christmas, let me encourage you to start praying now. Say, Lord, help me. Help me find the opportunities to say something. Help them see what a difference it makes in my life. Give me the boldness to, to, to proclaim you when I get the opportunity. It's a good, good thing to be praying about. I must remember we try to do it on Tuesday. Um, and if you're not a believer here this afternoon, if, you, if you're not just in Jesus, maybe you've seen in this passage something of God's meticulous plan. That actually no one is too far from his reach. He has come to save anyone who, who will come in repentance. If you're feeling broken today, if you're feeling distant from everyone because of, of what's gone on in your life, Jesus is here. Jesus can change your life and, and give you eternal life if you, if you ask him to. Come and speak to me or another elder afterwards if you want to know more about that. Why don't we pray? Why don't we pray and ask for God's help to work in our, our cold, stony hearts to, to fill us with joy this Christmas? Let's pray. Loving Father, we, we thank you for working your plan throughout history. We thank you for sending your son Jesus as the fulfillment of your promises. We thank you that it's coming means that, that we can be accepted and loved. Please help us this Christmas to be filled with joy at this truth. And for that to impact those around us, please bring people to love and follow you. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.